faith. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 11. As you are headed there, today we are uh, in the, the final portion of the labor pains that we've been uh, talking about for the, the birth of the nation of Israel. I was was thinking about this uh, as I was kind of re-preparing, so to speak. Uh, I preached on the Passover back in 2018 here. Um, but I thought that certainly as we got to it in this text, it was good since we're walking through Exodus, that it would be good for us to look at it again. Certainly there are some of you that were not here in 2018. And even if you were, it's Likely, you don't remember everything that I said in 2018. Um, I don't remember everything that I said in 2018. Um, but I, I, I think it's just a beautiful reminder. What we're going to see in this text today is this beautiful reminder of how God has protected his people. Again, and again, and again. So I, I want you to... To listen, I'll give you a heads up, right? I want you to listen to this sermon today with the ongoing thought. Kind of keep it in the, the forefront of your mind that at the end of our time today, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. For those of us who are followers of Christ, observing this meal uh, means something different than just simply a, a little wafer of bread and some, some juice in a cup. And it's, it's representative of something far greater. And, and our, uh, our time together in the Word, I, I think, will kind of lend itself all the more to us remembering what Christ did for us and, and in His protection uh, providing for us in this way. So you might even consider now uh, how you... You need to prepare your heart. Use this time of the word. I think of uh, Paul in Ephesians when he says like washing with the word that we might come before the table uh, with clean hands and a pure heart seeking, seeking to honor God in the way that we partake of the Lord's Supper. This text today will cover the best, better part of three chapters. Um, and, and there's something called a, a chiastic structure that you learn about that's uh, uh, in in like study of scripture kind of things, and it's basically where uh, one you, you kind of start with one portion of the scripture and you're you're going towards something, and and you get to that something, but you find out also that that the the chapters that follow it or the portion or the verses that follow it kind of kind of make like a. Um, like they're both, they're both pointing to this center point, okay? So, so we're going to see that today, even though, uh, even though we'll get through the whole text, uh, we'll actually finish with the middle of the text, because that's what the beginning and the end are pointing to. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, oh well. We'll, uh, we'll try our best as we, as we go along. So uh, I, I want you to, to, to know this. There are some truths to know about Passover, this portion of scripture we're going to study today about Passover that I, I think will be really helpful for us um, even, even before the Passover event, right? So last week we were in the plagues, and so this is actually the 10th plague, right? So there were nine plagues up to this one, and each one of those 
uh, ended with uh, Pharaoh saying no. After he had said yes, uh, bothered by the plague, annoyed by it, so to speak, and would say, no, no, like, y'all can go, you can go do your thing. And then as soon as the plague was over, he would change his mind and say, uh, hardened his heart, right? God hardened his heart. And so he said, no, I'm not going to do that. But, but today, this is this 10th plague, and so there are some things that are good to know before we even get into the Passover itself. And first, it's that there was foretelling. So go, to, go again to chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So, so this was a promise, right? This was this foretelling promise, and we're, we're getting pretty used to, uh, in our study of Exodus particularly, of the Lord saying things and those things happening. But this is going to be the, the final one, the final plague. God is no longer pointing to a hardening of Pharaoh's heart, right? He has said, you're going to go ask, and his heart is going to be hard. I'm going to harden his heart, and he's going to say no. But you're going to go ask, and so go ask, and he'll say no. This is, this is on repeat. But now he's saying, you're going to go ask, you're going to go, this, this plague is going to happen, and this time, this time, Pharaoh is going to send you out, and he is going to rush you out. Send you out completely. Drive you away. Not just a release, but a driving you out. Get out of here. You see, that's how true sovereignty works. Not only can he bring about what happens, but he can tell you that it will happen before it happens. This isn't like he looks back and says, hey, look at that thing I did. No, he's, he's looking ahead and saying, look at the thing I'm about to do. That's, that's the difference. You see, kings and, and presidents, other rulers can say that. They can go back and say, look at what I did. Look at what I brought about. See how I made that thing happen? But it's only the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that can say, here is what is about to come because I am about to bring it about. And here's how it will play out. And then you fast forward the tape, and it's precisely as he said. So there was, there was foretelling, and there was warning. Chapter 11, verse 4 and following. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Did you catch that part in verse 7? You, you, might, you might 
underlying part of this in verse 7, at least the, the second half of verse 7 says this, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Right? There's a, there's a difference here. There are those that are called the people of God and, and those that are not in the people of God. They're in the family and they're not in the family. And so God is, is wanting to make it clear that there is a distinction. Again, you got to remember that the, what is the purpose of all of this? What is the purpose of this slavery? What is the purpose of them being set free from this slavery? What is all of this? It's so that there will be clear that there, there are the people of God, that there is one true God. This, this distinction is not just distinguishing the, that there are a people of Israel. It's that there is a God. It's the God of the people of Israel is the one true God. That's why this, this distinction is so important. I think, I think we are blinded by this. Even, even today, the, the reason that God works in the way that he does is so that ultimately more people will know who God is. And more people will know of his power, of his perfections, of his provisions. That the, the reason you're walking through, whatever season you're walking through, is so that people will know who God is. Like, it could be the greatest season of your life. Everything is grand at your house. I got a friend that says everything's up and to the right, right? Like, everything's just hunky-dory. Maybe that's you today. And so if that's you, it's so that people will know who God is. Maybe this is the deepest, darkest season you could have imagined. And it's heavy and hard. And, and as the psalmist says, your tears are your food. But your season, you're going through so that people will know who God is. Your heartache and your hardship. I, I think about this morning, I was reminded about the Albanian Macedonian people of North Macedonia. People I had never heard of. But there are 521,000 of those people and 0.0% of them know of the saving grace of God. I think about this, your salvation is so that the Albanian Macedonian people of North Macedonia would know who God is. That, that the distinction between you in the family of God and them in a different part, like they, they're not in the family. That what you're experiencing in salvation is so that people like that will know who God is. And so, yeah, I, I wonder if you'll pray to that end. If you'll, you'll pray for the North Macedonians. I wonder if you'll live to that end, give to that end. Well, with, with that in mind, let, let's, let's look to some truths to learn about Passover, right? There's some stuff we wanted to know 
uh, kind of before we even get to Passover. But then let's, let's look at some truths to learn about Passover. So, so jump to chapter 12, chapter 12, Exodus 12, uh, and we'll begin in verse 1. It says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take you may take it from sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. couple things to, to note here. One, timing was adjusted to, to bring about newness. There was a timing that was adjusted. So if you look back at verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. This is, this is new. This has not happened this way before. It was not previously considered the first month. And so now this would mark the first month for them. You also see here that, that there's a, a freedom that's promised. In fact, that because of that promise of freedom, there is a, a, a coming remembering of freedom. A reminder that freedom is coming and that freedom is now here. So they're, they're seeing, okay, the, this Passover is going to happen and you're going to be set free. But I want you to be clear, this is something that I think we really miss in, in our American culture. Freedom is not the same as independence. You know, we, we misconstrue this a lot with American pride. We speak of freedom and independence as though they are synonymous. They are similar but not the same. So while freedom from the tyranny of the English king, not wanting taxation without representation, is certainly a picture of declaring independence, it is not the same here in this text or of our Christian freedom because freedom in Christ means total dependence on 
Christ. So it's not independent, like we can still make it on our own. Like that's what independence is. I am independent. I don't, I don't have to rely on someone else. But freedom is we are given freedom in Christ. We're, we're set free. And by the way, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So what, what does that mean? It means that we're free to completely rely on God for all of our needs. We're free to have him uh, win every battle. We're free to let him conquer sin and hell and the grave. We've been given rescue into a, a complete dependence on the deliverer. You, you can see how this is a countercultural idea, right? The, the culture tells us that we should be seeking independence. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? What a, what a great joy, though, it is to see it as something more. So yes, timing was adjusted to bring about this newness, this new kind of dependence, this new kind of freedom. But notice this, that blood was spilled to bring about deliverance. There is a need for blood here. Look at chapter 12, verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, so the, the kind of the, the top of the doorpost, so to speak. And the, uh, in which they eat. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. You see, this blood is the sign of the, of a death of another, of someone else. You see, based on God's plan, sin is, is cause for death. And the Lord's plan, he is willing to take, though, the blood of another on behalf of the punishment due each household. See, it wasn't that the, uh, the Israelites didn't deserve this same punishment. Right? We might think that, that they didn't even deserve it. But the, the truth is, it's that the Lord was willing to accept someone else's death instead of theirs. And that plan has not changed. Our God still takes the blood of another on behalf of the punishment due you. Hold on to that. I, I notice even in the instructions as we continue on in, in verse 46, it says, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. You see the foretelling of, of non-broken bones? One Martha Zimmerman says, to understand Passover and the cross, we need to look at the cycle of history. With each event, a grand spiral was forming, circling toward the final fulfillment of God's eternal purpose. These were not isolated events. From the beginning of time, God has been saying, there is no way to approach me except by coming with a lamb. Sacrifice was ordained by God and instituted by him in the beginning. Now we just have 
a new land. It's a new land that came. Notice this. He says, mark the doorpost. Don't think this was an accident. There's a different doorway of blood. It is Jesus himself who said, truly I say to you, I am the door. Do you picture that? He even says, I'm the door of the sheep. Can you imagine being a, a Jewish listener at that time? Who has experienced, walked through Passover after Passover after Passover, hearing of, of hundreds of years before, your ancestors had painted their door with blood. And now you're standing in front of a man who says, I am the blood, I'm the door of the sheep. These types of connections are important for us to see, not only as a reminder of the fruit that we have from the richness of the Old Testament, but also because God's perfect plan for us is shown that he made these connections all along the way before anyone else could predict that this is exactly how it was going to happen. Okay, so timing, blood, and now preparation. Preparation was necessary to bring about quickness. Verse 11, chapter 12, in this manner you shall eat it. Your belt fastens your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. You're like, leave behind the yeast. Don't even let things rise up. The sin, sinful leaven that we'll see about later in the New Testament, left behind instead of getting that good yeast spread throughout the whole, right? Everyone should be ready to go. Because the time has come. Remember, the labor pains. We're at the last part here. Like, the, the breathing is getting heavy. The contractions are getting closer and closer together. And, and the Lord is saying, be ready. I want your belt fastened, your shoes on. At my house, when I say get your shoes on, we might have 12 minutes before we go. Right? We don't have time for that. Hey, like, we're not looking for shoes. We're not trying to find them under the bed. You got to have your shoes on, your belt on. You need your staff in your hand. Here's what he's saying. Be ready. Be at the door. When I say go, we're not waiting around for you to gather your belongings so we can get out of here. Because when Pharaoh says it's time, he's tired of you, you, you get out. Freedom is at hand. Can you imagine being in slavery and being told like that you're free? Do you think people just wait around? Hey, let me see if he changes his mind again. No. No, there's no waiting. There's, there's immediate obedience. There's haste. Interestingly, foreigners were excluded from, the, from taking Passover later. So to bring about clarity. See, this is designed as a distinguishing mark of the new nation. So chapter 12, verse 43, this is talking about what is to come. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a statute of the Passover, no foreigner shall eat of it. This is talking about after it's over. Here's how you're gonna celebrate it. Here's how you're gonna remember back when Passover happened. And so foreigners aren't to take this. Why? Because it's, it's not really for them. They're not celebrating that they were brought out of slavery that they've been set free. This is a distinction for the people of God. This is a, a distinction. This is something designed for those who have celebrated their, their freedom. 
their complete dependence on God. Okay, so we have truths before Passover, truths about Passover, and now truths to remember because of Passover. I would, I would say the first thing to notice there is to celebrate the time of beginning. Right? Consider this, this newness of life that's brought about. At the, at the beginning, this is, this is the birth of a nation. And here's what's, here's what's about to happen. As, as Passover happens, so often we think of what we'll talk about in just a couple weeks when we get to crossing the Red Sea, that that's really it. But, but notice that, that Passover, when they're leaving, this is when their freedom is declared. Now, they're going to have to do some things, even uh, as we learn about the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud next week. And as we look ahead, uh, and they, they actually do cross the Red Sea, and they go into the wilderness, and all of the things that follow the rest of the book of Exodus. But at this point, we're talking about nation starts now. Set free now. This is new. This is new life. So, so celebrate the time of beginning and remember the time of deliverance. When you remember this deliverance, consider Christ's death on the cross. See, there were these bitter herbs to be eaten because... This was bitter. Death tastes bad. This is not to, to like, it's intentional to not just slide over the fact that this would have been hard. Sacrifice is difficult. Right? That's why chapter 12, verse 8, to eat these bitter herbs. Remember from earlier, blood is the sign of the death of another. The sign of the do not break the lamb's bones is, is pointing to blood being spilt, the bones not being broken, the, the doorway of blood in Jesus. Oh, I, can, I need you to hear this. Surely you're, you're making these connections. And if you're not, I, I will try to make them as plain as I can. Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to pour his blood out, not on doorposts and lintel, but on a cross so that the wrath of God would pass over you. Your salvation is not based on you doing or gaining anything. Are you working to earn something? Your, your salvation, my salvation, is based on the blood of Christ. When, when, when the wrath of God comes by, it passes over me. So, how do you respond to that? You, you turn from your sin. You turn from your wickedness, your ways, and trying to... Your, your independence, you, you turn away from your independence and you say, I'm going to trust in Jesus. 
I'm going to depend on him. I'm going to realize how desperate I am for him. So I'm asking, will you choose that today? And if you are a follower of Christ, then, then we ought to be preparing for the time of judgment. In, in many ways, we should be doing our job to let other people know that judgment is coming, right? Like, the wrath of God is coming. When judgment comes, you won't have enough righteousness to cover your own sin. So you must have the blood of a spotless lamb to cover your unrighteousness. The Israelites weren't righteous enough either. That is why they needed the spotless lamb. Additionally, as believers, we rejoice in the time of worship. And that's what leads us to the Lord's Supper. See, the Israelites were told that they should be observed this time forever, in fact. That this is supposed to be something that is passed down from generation to generation. We already have the true blood being spilled. So instead of actual blood on this table, we're, it's okay for us to have a symbol of that blood. It's a sign of a covenant, right? There was a, a sign, there was a, a circumcision that, that is replaced by the bloodless sign of baptism. We see that, we'll even get to see that in the next hour. Two sisters display that sign of a covenant. So, just a few things before we come to the table. Truths to hold on during Passover. You remember how I talked about that chiastic structure? Everybody just kind of awkwardly stared at me. So we talked about we're going to get to a thing, and, and then we're going to have come from a thing, and so, so it all comes to this point together. So here's the point. In chapter 12, really, in like the section 33 to 42, all culminates in the people being let go. They're all getting set free, but look at verse 37. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. So you just need to imagine about 2 million people. Do you know what that verse says? They're free. That's what verse 37 says. They are free. Freedom has been given to them. They are out. They're gone. Two million have had their belts buckled. They have had their uh, sandals already on and their staff in their hand. The door is open and Pharaoh said, get out. You're set free. Freedom has been given to them at this point. Freedom came. This is not a, a wait until we see how this goes. This is right now. Freedom is here. I want, like, that's what's being offered to you today. Freedom is at hand. Freedom is here for you. You turn from your sin. You, you put your belt on and you put your shoes on and you get your staff and you accept Jesus today because freedom is here. Freedom is offered to you, church. 
As a believer, you have freedom to live like you are free. Don't live enslaved to the sin of your past. This is why fruitfulness happened. Can you imagine? Okay, remember, we know how fruitfulness happened? We know, because there's now two million of them, and there weren't two million of them when they got there. Right? We remember that at the beginning of, the, of Exodus? We're talking like hundreds of thousands of people that have multiplied. Fruitfulness happened. And the feast will forever remind us of this protection, this provision of our God. So, we come to the table. And when we come to the table, we come because freedom was given to us. Now, in the same way that, that the Passover meal was restricted to those who are in the people of God, so is this Lord's Supper meal. It's designed for those who have a reason to celebrate it. So if you've, if you've never turned your life over to Christ, telling him that you are going to depend on him alone, then I just ask that you would observe those around you. In fact, when the tray comes by, you just, you just pass it on. No, no judgment here. You just pass that tray on. But for those of you who are believers, make sure that you are taking this with humility in your heart, with celebration, with remembrance of what Christ has done for you. And if your heart is, is not able to do that today for whatever reason, again, just, just pass the tray. No, no judgment. This is, this is a safe space for that. But if you take it, remember, not the, not the blood on a doorpost, the blood on the cross. Not a, not a, a lamb or goat, but the Son of God. Broken body, poured out blood for you. Would the deacons come at this time? deacons pass these elements out, take time in these next few minutes to call out to the Lord. Ask Him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to purify your heart. And let's serve these elements.
as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. took a cup when he'd given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins we have great reason to celebrate for our God has provided a way for our eternal protection. Through his son's death and resurrection, we believe this. So we, we, I invite you to stand with us as we respond this morning. If you have questions about any of these things, things you want to pray about, things you want further assistance, or, or maybe you just want us to pray over you, over here to my left, there will be some who would love to talk with you, pray for, for you. But as we, as we conclude our time, respond to the Lord with praise for all that he has done.